Kia ora everyone, what's happening? Welcome to Talk Back Fridays for May the 20th. I am Selenia, your trusty producer. Tonight is hosted by Michelle Henderson and she is bringing on an extraordinary woman called Brooke West. Let's catch up with Michelle first. How's it going? Good, I'm good. The weather outside's pretty terrible though, so... It's snowing where I am, what, sort of semi-snowing where I am, so a little bit of dusting on the hills today. Oh, you're like, in Queenstown, aren't you? Yes, near Queenstown, yeah, so it sort of looks like icy sugar. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, very pretty, um, pretty dusty, and that's actually the name of a um, pair of sunglasses by Fortune Eyewear, who were once a sponsor on the show, Fortune Eyewear. So I'm going to uh, let you introduce your fantastic woman backstage and we're just gonna let you guys rock out you go for it after this oh good hey girl hey so exciting i can't believe i'm interested like interviewing one of my best friends so that's pretty cool i didn't know we were gonna go public with that no (laughs) (laughs) cut it out so um do you basically want to just explain to the audience like who you are, like um, what made you venture into all forms of entertainment and give us a brief overview of who you are? I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. So my name is Brooke West. I do a little bit of everything in the entertainment industry because I just couldn't choose, to be honest. Um, it's been a little bit of a slower process, I would say. Like my progress has kind of come in bursts sometimes motivation issues on my own part and other times it was listening to the wrong people trying to pigeonhole you like people tend to do when you're in the entertainment industry and if you're one thing you can only be one thing and I wanted to do everything and I was getting told particularly by men you know I remember one guy said to me he's like you're like a a three-headed tight what is it that little that dog thing on Harry Potter like oh yeah and he was just like, you know, you want to do all of these different things and he's, and you can't, you, just, you know, like pick one and basically just sell out and do like a paywall on a website. And that was disheartening, but it also kind of fueled me even more because it was like, I know I can do more than one thing. A lot of people can. And it was just sticking to my guns and kind of forging my own path like that. And then I became friends with people like you who just had the audacity that I didn't have. And the confidence that I didn't have to sort of umbrella all of that, being a dancer or a comic or trying music videos or having a voice or whatever. And so it was good to be able to be around other Men have tried to run the world forever and it's not, not really working out. So, like, maybe we should stop listening to them. Get <laughs> 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 it, girl. It's good, so we'll see. I started dancing, to be honest, as... I kind of got dragged into it and for me I don't regret it at all like dancing taught me so much about myself it taught me so much about other people it gave me a lot of confidence and it was a way to get out of like a bad home life situation because I could make my own money I was suddenly independent and there wasn't anybody that could tell me like this is what you have to do or this is who you have to be and it really gave me to be honest, the freedom to really look inward. This sounds really backwards, like stripping is what healed me, but it really did give me that time of, I only had to work, you know, maybe two or three days a week and I could pay all of my bills. And the rest of that time I could be at home or I could go out with my friends and not just going out in the weekends at nighttime, you know, like I could, I could go away on trips and I really had a lot of downtime to just kind of look inward and deal with my own stuff. And I had this really kind of weird moment when I was 20 and I decided like I had, this sounds so cheesy, but it's a hundred percent true. So I had heard that your frontal temporal lobe, right? Like up here, that's the decision-making part of the brain. And that's not fully formed until you turn 21 years old. So that's why teenagers are such fuckwits because they literally can't make good decisions. Their brain isn't programmed to do it. And that's why people give you a key on your 21st to enter into adult because like you're actually capable now. So I decided at 20, like you've been through all of this crap and at a certain point, you know, it's up to you 
where your future goes. You know, like that was where you were you were forged in the fucking fires. But at a certain point, you've got to keep it pushing. So I was like, I'm not going to go into 21 carrying all that baggage. I'm just going to, I'm going to really look inward and sort that that out. And it took a lot more than one year. Uh, it took more like seven but dancing gave me the freedom to be able to just really have that kind of looking into myself time. And that worked in well with my comedy because like I've been heckled so many times in a strip club with my tits out. And so like for me, there is nothing anybody on this earth could say to me on a comedy stage that were come even close to phasing me. Like, dude, I used to do that. Like, I'm standing out there naked and people are shouting out the dumbest stuff. And strangely enough, that was where I got a lot of my stage confidence. You know, like a stage is a stage is a stage. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing on there. If that's going to get you comfortable, you know, like stage skills aren't necessarily transferable. But that that feeling of being on a stage and being comfortable with it. And I think what really makes a good performer is... It doesn't matter whether you're playing a role or dancing or doing comedy or whatever it is. Like when you're up there, you really have to understand who it is that you are and what it is that you stand for and what it is that your message is. Like what is your art, whatever that may be, trying to say. And I don't think you can really do that until you really understand who you are. So dancing kind of gave me that jumping point to have that confidence back because I actually started comedy first. A lot of people don't know that. I started comedy and I was so shy. Like, I wasn't like Brooke West back then. And no one believes me because like, I put in the work. But this, um, the New Zealand International Comedy Festival happens every year, except for COVID, which really fucked us up. But there's this amazing program that they do through the Classic, which is just my home. Shout out to the Classic. Um, they go around all of the local high schools and they pick like one or two kids from every high school in that kind of like town, south, like west, whatever area. And they take us to the classic comedy bar and they get like a professional comedian that brings in these kids and they put us through like a two week school holiday program and taught us how to be comedians and like how to write a joke and how to write, you know, for your voice and to find yourself within that, which was amazing. And I almost didn't do it. Like I only, so I wanted to talk to the guy that did it. It was Ben Hurley. So he's on TV all the time. Everybody knows him. He's great. Love you, Ben. He was talking to one of my friends at the front of the stage because nobody at my school signed up for it. And I didn't know that there was something to sign up because I was just whatever, a teenager. So I went and talked to her thinking like, he'll see me talking to her and like, you know, we'll just see what happens. And he looked at me and he was like, you know what? You should really come to this because you know, you're quite funny and it's not even necessarily about funny at that time. He was like, you're really engaging and I'm very like, very talky with my hands and stuff. And he goes, when you talk, I want to listen. And so you should come. And I was so shy that I panicked and I was just like, okay. And then I (laughs) gave him my details and I walked away and I was like, there's no fucking way in hell. Like I'm going to like, there's just, there's no way I could do it. And so then I made up my mind, like, I can't do it. I'm too scared. Like I totally bitched out. And so I was like, He'd said to me, I'll call you closer to the time and we'll confirm all the details. And I was like, okay, giving myself a pep talk. When he comes and does the thing, when he calls me, I want to tell him, like, I can't do it. Like, there's just no way. So he calls me like a week out from doing it. And I was like, this is my moment. I'm just going to tell him. Just going to be, you know, assertive. You can't do it. You don't want to come. And he was like, cool. So, like, I'll see you in a week. And I panicked again. And I was like, yeah, no, like, I'll see you then. And then I hung up the phone and I was like, damn it. You couldn't tell him that you couldn't go. And like, I'm a polite person. I don't look like it, but I am. And I was like, well, if I said I'm going to go, then I have to go. And I was dreading it the entire time that I was on the way there to get dropped off. And from the first day that I was there, it, it was just like coming home. Like I just, I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. I was that kid from eight years old that like, I knew I was born to just be on a stage. Like it didn't matter what stage. And as I got older, the little just like justice warrior in me kind of bubbled up. And I realized that, even even on a smaller scale, you know, like girls like you and me, <laughs> people don't often care what we have to say, especially when we were growing up, you know, like people are a bit more woke now and they're a little bit more, not dickheads, but like for the most part, 
every job I ever wanted is, is like a teenager, you know, like those kind of jobs I got. And people would say to me with zero experience, you know, it doesn't matter. Like you just stand in the corner and look pretty. And so for me, comedy was like, all of a sudden it was like a whole new world. First of all, problems, but it was, it was a problem. And all of a sudden people didn't care necessarily what I looked like anymore. It was about what I had to say. And people wanted to know like who I was and like what my viewpoint was. And I didn't always get it right. Sometimes I came across as like a little bit more defensive as some of my mentors would say. And then some of the best comedy advice I got was, was one of the comedians who was, would have been Jamie Bowen. And he was like, just tell us what it's like to be you. I'm interested in your point of view. And it doesn't have to be like this hard hitting edgy stuff. He's like, not that that's not great, but like, tell me what it's like to be a hot girl walking down the street. Tell me what it's like to live a day in the life of you, because that's a perspective that I'm never going to have. And that's something that I'd be interested in. Other people would be too. And I was just like, well, they do say comedy is tragedy plus timing. That's it. I got a lot of fucking tragedy, sis. <laughs> but it's also like, you know, if you can't laugh about it, like, what the fuck have you got, you know? Yeah. yeah. Can we swear? Because I did. That's, it's happening. I used to watch stand-up all the time as, like, a teenager. So they do these, like, um, you know, like on TV too, how they do, like, Christmas in the Park. They also do leading up to the comedy festival, which at the time I didn't know was a thing, but they do these, like, variety shows where – they put a bunch of different comedians on and they come and do like a three or four minute set. And then they, they broadcast that on TV. I think it's called like Aotearoha, but I don't know what it used to be called. So I used to watch that on TV. And honestly, even when I was watching it, it never ever occurred to me at that time. This is something that I want to do. Like this is something that I could do, or this is an option. You know, this was before social media. It wasn't the same as like, we can just do whatever we want now and Justin Bieber and make our own path. It was like, you had a one in a billion shot. Mm -hmm. And so then when this thing came around for the, the high schools, I suddenly was thinking about it and was like, well, let me explore it. And within that two week program, man, like I just, I just fell in love. Like it just, it felt right. And throughout, like I left for a long time. I, I walked away from comedy for about six or seven years, like from a bunch of different reasons. Like the industry then wasn't as great as it is now, especially for female comics. It sure as fuck wasn't ready for a comic like me that looks like me. I had a pretty hard time with um, like other women, like not Kiwi comics per se, but like the traveling women at the time that had kind of, that sometimes you get comics from like the, the UK and stuff and they'll come and sort of be here for like a few months or whatever. And I remember this one chick told me at an after party that they had, I got to go to an after party at 18. So they do like a closing down party for the festival. I'll tell you, this is the moment that I was like, you know what? This is my one arrogant comic moment. I was like, I can totally do this. So it was hosted by Rose, who at the time was like, huge he was on our tvs like every single saturday he had the rove show like that was like the pinnacle for like kiwi comics to kind of like do that sort of thing and he was at the after party because he was the host and i walked up to him and i tried to tell him my feminist joke at the time and i was like 18 years old and he laughed his ass off and said that's hilarious and ben looked at him and they gave each other the like the nod of like that was actually funny and i was like you know what guys just give me my prizes. Like I've got, I've got this shit in the bag. It didn't last. Like that feeling did not last. But um, yeah, that was the moment, the first moment that I just thought, you know, maybe I can do this. Yeah. It's very different being in a party setting or like, you know, when you're with your friends, like people would always say to me, oh my God, like you're so funny. And it's just like, whatever. But to actually be funny because you have to be is a completely different thing. Like guys will come up to you all the time, especially in strip clubs, and be like, yeah, I'm really funny too. And they'll tell you like, just the lamest, <laughs> the lamest shit. But um, to actually have to be funny is, it is a lot of pressure. And it also depends on the crowds. Like I've learned the hard way, like which crowds kind of work for me and which ones don't. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about comedy is it's like, you get so many corny life lessons along the way where like, if it doesn't try one time, try it again. Like try it in a different venue, try it with different types of crowds and like, and see what happens. And it's interesting always to me 
to see which material lands with which audience. And sometimes you'll have a joke that has maybe three or four punchlines throughout that one joke and seeing like which audience laughs at which part of it. Because sometimes you'll see people laugh at like the second or the third part, not the fourth or fifth. And that's kind of a collective in the room. And then the next time you do it with a different room, they don't laugh at the second or the third, but they go crazy over the fourth and the fifth part of the punchline. So I've always found that really interesting as kind of like a people watcher to see what part of the humor they kind of laugh at. And for me, it's become like a weird little fetish of mine where I just love to watch people laugh at comedy. Like if I fell in love with a Netflix special, I'll show all of my friends, you included, so you can vouch for that. And I just like, I don't watch the show. I watch them watch the show. Because I've watched the show five times and I know all of the jokes when they're coming and I just sit there like at my friends and say, oh, what are you going to laugh at? And I feel like now it's like with my people reading skills from being a dancer and also in comedy, I can tell so much about a person like just by what kind of comedy they like or who they like or what parts of the joke they laugh at. So when I meet new people, I'll throw out a different couple of kind of jokes in a social setting and whichever one they laugh at, I'm like, I've got you, I've got you now. Like I've got your whole thing. I know exactly how to go with this. So they kind of like mesh together, which is great for me because I'd be fucked if this didn't pan out. (laughs) (laughs) I call you on the daily just stressing out. No, um, I'm quite ADD, which people can probably tell. So one of my managers actually said to me, she's like, I love listening to your point of view because you're constantly thinking of like six different viewpoints at the exact same time. And she's like, that's so amazing. And I was like, sis, it's so exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also, it's the only way that I know how to be, you know, and you and I relate to that a lot. And that's a lot of our friendship is based on our mutual just being this hot mess of a human being. Right. Still. <laughs> but we somehow pull it off. And for me, like, I, I'm i just one of those people that loves life. I just, I love life. And it fascinates me to watch people and watch different things. And, and I really love that, that bittersweet moment of, like, life doesn't always go the ways that we want it to. But how beautiful is it that just at the drop of the hat, our path is never truly chosen for us, you know? Like, we can just pick up and, and leave the country tomorrow and start a new life or start a new path, start a new career. And I think it's just so exciting. And I just want to try all of it. <laughs> I just want to try all of it. And so, you know, you get fulfilled in all these different ways. And if I was just a mum, like, not saying just a mum, being a mum is, like, excruciating, it's so hard. But it's so beautiful and rewarding. But if I was only... Um, um, I wouldn't be as satisfied and I wouldn't be able to be the kind of mum that I am or that I would like to be because we're always learning um, if I wasn't still fulfilling myself because I think that's a really unfair thing that we put on mums is that you know once you're a mother like that's it you just shut up shop and you sit in the house and you cook and clean and I'm like I don't know whether I were raised But that's not how we're doing it here. And, you know, I have a son, so it's important to me that he sees an ambitious woman, you know, like a woman that's like doesn't always get it right, doesn't have to be successful at absolutely everything, but just gave everything a go. And it's like, you're welcome, future girls, by the way. Like, we're out here raising kings. And it's like, I want him to grow up and see women and just be like, wow, you're just, you're so powerful and you're so strong and yet vulnerable and you you can kind of have it all if you make the right kind of compromises if and where you can you know like you can't pour from an empty cup and for me I'm a worker I couldn't be a stay-at-home mum it's too hard like shout out to stay-at-home mums because that shit like by four months after my son was born I was climbing the fucking walls still (laughs) had to get out of this house and so I wanted to study and I wanted to learn and I still wanted to to better myself because it's like how could I teach another human being how to be a human being if I haven't explored those avenues and figured that out for myself so I'm just greedy really I just just need a bit of everything I think it's just finding the balance you know like and for me it's about compartmentalizing so when I'm at work I'm at work and home you know doesn't really exist too much it it can't otherwise I can't focus you know and it's like people's lives are at stake so it's just pretty hardcore 
but it's like when I'm at work, like I just focus on getting that academic knowledge and that, that work experience or life experience and just, just really living that moment. And then when I'm home, likewise, I, I don't bring work home. I'm just, I'm here, I'm present, I'm in the moment and I focus all of that time and energy on my son and it's you know turning the phone off or just whatever it is that he wants to do if he wants to tell me a 20 minute boring story about his cartoon program then like let's do it don't strap in i'm ready you know like it just <laughs> love that yeah great wow <laughs> but it's you know it's just being present wherever it is that i am and i it's learning that hard balance between you know spreading yourself too thin and so my solution to that for my situation was just being present in whichever avenue I was, knowing that then that would come back around to the next, you know, little compartment of my life that I have and being fully present in that one too. And I don't always get it right. I definitely don't always get it right. And it is hard sometimes, you know, like my son will call me from his grandmother's phone, you know, at dinner and I'm at work and there's a staff room or, or I'm on a gig somewhere. I was a little bit of a cry. You know, but it's, I know that then when I do see him, I've also fulfilled enough in myself and it's in a weird way kind of teaching him too that like your life doesn't just just stop when you have kids and it's, but you can't be that chick that then doesn't like look after your kid at all. Like, it's never that. I mean, it was for some people's mums, but we yeah. just can't, you know, like I don't, I definitely don't have all the answers. I definitely don't always get it right. Like sometimes I win, sometimes I don't, but like both times I'm trying. So I think it's just putting in all of that effort. And when you need to go and have a cry, just we can have a cry. Do it. Just do it for five minutes though, and then keep it pushing because we've got shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> then we move on. We've got stuff to do. What was your performance? Comedy or dancing? Comedy. Okay, yeah. I had this performance that I had, which weirdly, so I got it on video. I had one of my friends video it and we put it on, well, we, I say we, I mean I, I put it on YouTube because I was so stoked about it, right? So if anybody wants to find it, feel free to go check it out. I had this night and I'd had just enough drinks. You can't drink too much when you're trying to do comedy because you fuck out. But for me, if you know your limits, there's other times where it makes things just a little bit more natural and things flow. So I had this gig and I was really nervous and I did all the prep that I was supposed to do and I really wanted to like give it a good go and I had a great support team. I had about three or four of my friends there and I ignored them the entire time because I was in the bathroom trying to eight mile myself like mum's spaghetti like getting in the zone and I did this amazing gig and the crowd like was just feeling it and it was just an amateur night and just a bar gig or whatever you know but those are my favorite ones I love the pub gigs the most because for me personally it, it just suits my style the people that go to those gigs aren't necessarily wanting like really crisp sort of comedy like I can be a bit more edgy and a little bit more audacious with it and people are sort of just like oh like they really get on board um so I had this great gig and there was a girl on before me and a girl on after me and the girl before me was so funny. Her name's Sarah. She's a great friend of mine now because she's a mum comic as well. At the time, I wasn't a mum, but she had this really punchy, edgy comedy that she did. And, you know, about being, I think the moment that got me was she she had this sort of joke about how, like, she was a teen mum and people sort of gave a shit about it. And she was like, you know what, whatever, that's fine if anything happens to my kid because I'm young enough, I've got time to make a new one. And it just killed me. Like, I, it was the funniest thing I think I'd ever heard. And I was so shocked that another female kind of had my style. Because I'd never really had a female just come out and be really just like, you know what, I really don't give a fuck. Like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And watching her, that camaraderie was amazing for me. And it really egged me on. Like, you know, that I'm like the empath vibe. So if somebody else is being like, you know, going to that place, I'm like, all right, if we're going there, my bag's packed in the corner. Like, let's let's <laughs> let's pack this shit up. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Like enter stage left. So I jump on the stage and I've had a couple of drinks and just enough that it had a really natural flow. And you know, all of this new material was coming out of my mouth, like I was just as surprised as everybody else. And then afterwards, my friend kept recording and I was stoked because one of my other comedy mentors, Brendan Lovegrove, was there. And he always egged me on in gigs as well because he's, 
you know, the kind of style that I used to watch and be like, that's what I want to do. Somebody who's just so unapologetic and says the most like hectic stuff on stage, but it's so clever and so crafted that like you can't be offended by it because it's really intelligent stuff. Mm. So having him stand up afterwards, he gave this big speech about how like, what, like he, it wasn't even a speech. He was he was speechless. And if you know Brendan, he never shuts the fuck up. So like this was a big moment for me. And then he he said to me, he was like, "Give it up for my daughter on the stage," and everybody just like lost it. And it was so nice to be recognized for my voice, not necessarily the night that I had or the, you know, the gig or my material. It was like somebody saw my point of view and the way that I write comedy, the way that I feel and, and, you know, put out comedy and was just like, I see you and I, I appreciate you. And that was, that was everything that I needed. And so it's like, you can have good big gigs and bad gigs and they all teach you about comedy and yourself and, and your voice or whatever. But in that moment to have somebody who's, comedy style I aspired to be like you know what that was worthy like that was the moment for me that I don't think that like I'll ever forget and for me getting off stage after comedy and you've had a great gig that adrenaline rush is just like it's just a feeling nobody can ever take away from you and I think that's one of my favorite things about stage is that it doesn't matter whether you're dancing or comedy you know like dancing it was the same thing and I used to get a lot of compliments from people saying you know as far as I'm concerned, what you did was art and the way that you were moving, they were just like, it's like, you didn't even care that I was in the room. And I was like, I didn't, um, but no. it's, <laughs> don't care that you're here. Uh, but it's to have people recognize, you know, what it is that you're putting out there artistically and just be like, that moved me in some sort of way. Like, isn't that what art's supposed to do? And so for me, like that feeling on even a dancing stage, you know, when you're spinning around and around and around and you're just feeling that music and you don't give a shit, like, you know, the crowd melts into the wall and you can't see anybody but yourself in the pole. And it's just you in the moment, just feeling. That vibe is the same vibe that I get every time I get off stage from a comedy gig, like good or bad, like that. You just can't, you'll never be able to take it. And I think that's something that I love about it the most is it's such a personal just joy that's mine and it's it's for me you know we can put out a lot of stuff that is for everybody else or people want to take a piece of it and as women they want to take credit for it and be like look at you know what I let you do but it's like when you're when it's just you on that stage like that's power man and nobody can touch that and that's just priceless Westmere at Garnet Station that was a high moment for me having all of you guys just like fucking sneak up there and surprise me and no, and no. but see for me like I had a great gig because of the same thing it's the energy you know like for me I'm just like an energy slut really <laughs> I, just, I feed off that stuff I do when if I'm on a dancing stage you know like I had one one of my best nights ever was at showgirls and it was just the energy like the whole place was packed and it was me on stage and again a little bit tiddly starting to think maybe I just like alcohol not the stage but I was on the stage and it was, I was doing an amazing show, but the whole entire room was just with me in that moment. And they were just like throwing money everywhere and standing up out of their seats and like cheering and going crazy. And it's just like, you're feeding off that and it's egging you on and making you do an even better performance. Like, ugh, so good. And when your friends are there with comedy, like it, it makes it easier. It's like stacking the deck. It's kind of like cheating, but not really because everyone still had a good time. <laughs> literally every single social media that i have basically is at brookwestxx i did it all the same uh not for your benefit it was because i just didn't want to remember anymore but like yeah snapchat youtube like facebook you name it oh, it's all oh. out there yeah but it's, it's exciting like i was focusing on dancing for so long there and, and getting quite like a you know, like a rep for being a dancer. And my favorite thing now, focusing more on comedy and kind of evolving out of that and just outgrowing that and trying to level up is having people come up to me now and being like, oh, like you're Brooke West. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm Brooke. And they're just like, yeah, you're that comedian. And it's like, that's the coolest feeling rather than them just being like, oh, like you're the dancer or whatever. And not that I don't, you know, I loved that, but it's been a while since I've been on for that deal. 
My back, my back doesn't have it in it anymore. Well, probably trying to see you, but like you don't fucking write, you don't call. Like I had to stalk you to your job just to get a fucking call back, give it a FaceTime and end deal. How's that? Midget just go around and be like, hey, um, I really think you guys should interview me. Um, get that host, Michelle. I heard she's a bit of a bitch, but like I'm sure we'll work it out. <laughs> and then I just popped up a job. Thanks. Nah, I love you. Thanks for coming on. I miss you. You'll be back. <laughs> Brooke, when's your next show? My next show is kind of pending at the moment. So I was accepted into the comedy festival this year, which was really exciting for me. It was a um, my, would have been my first debut show, which has unfortunately been cancelled. We've cancelled the comedy fest, but I'm looking into maybe doing something with the um, the trust themselves, or maybe some fringe festival stuff, which is coming up. I think in September. But otherwise, any bar gigs that you see, like, I'll definitely be jumping into those because, like I said, like, there's nothing better than that kind of pure, just in-the-moment comedy. So yeah. if decide to do my show, like, I'll make sure that you guys all know about it. Yeah, I'd love yeah, I'd to love that. Tell yeah. Michelle yeah. to bring you. My show that I'll be doing is called <laughs> Hashtag Stripper Problems. <laughs> yeah, and it's basically my love note to stripping and all of the girls that are still there, any of the girls that were there with me in the trenches because those women totally helped to shape who I was. So it'll just yeah. be a kind of fly on the wall thing for other people to kind of break down a bit of stigma and just yeah. Yeah. shed a bit of light on the excitement. You're right. There is a lot of stigma around a lot of things. Do you feel like you've lost friends doing this? Oh, for sure. Like girls like Michelle, I could probably take or leave. No, I'm just I love uh, it. Is, there's something like I was one of the girls that, you know, people are like, oh, they don't really have any girl friends or girls aren't very nice to me. And the girls that I met stripping were just, there's something so powerful about that camaraderie, you know, like nobody else knows what it is that you're going through except for those women. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what it was. And I think I've nailed it. And it's that, you know, you get so much kind of attention slash harassment slash whatever it is at work that when you leave, you just want to be left alone in the corner to just do whatever it is that you're doing with your life. And all of those women are the same. So it's kind of like you're all energyed out. Like you can't deal with anything else. So you don't have enough energy to be jealous or, you know, competitive with each other in that kind of context. If anything, you're just like, oh, that guy's coming here to talk to you. Like good luck with that. And you make fun of them. So Having a group of women where that just wasn't a factor anymore was a really nice thing, but it went deeper than just getting the attention already. You kind of learned that there were so many guys that would not have booked me to give me money in the strip club just because I wasn't blonde, because I had tattoos. And there was just as many that would book me only because I had tattoos or because of my personality type. And so really getting that front row seat into... It's not about anything like a deficit in you and who you are. Guys just tend to be quite visual in it, and it can be something as as tiny as just, I don't have the right hair color. And so it really <laughs> removes a lot of that kind of competition with another woman where you're looking at them like, what does she have that I don't have? And makes you realize that guys really aren't that picky or if they are, it's over something stupid and not about you as a woman. So yeah, maybe that's good. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reduces any any kind of like competition out of that. Yeah. You kind of have to get comfortable with you, you know? And I was a ridiculously shy kid and people don't realize that. Like I would watch birthday parties from hallways. Like that's how terrified I was of other kids and, and what they would think or feel or view me as. And so I worked so, so hard just to accept myself and to be comfortable with who I am and discover who it was that I am. And I think that's where people get the idea maybe that I'm a little bit confrontational or they kind of see like an arrogance or something, but it's really not arrogance. Like I still have insecurities like everybody else and I still have things I want to work on like everybody else. It's just that I worked so hard 
that I'm also not going to apologize anymore for being who I am because I, I really earned it. And it's not the same as just being like, oh, like I've, I've always just thought that I was pretty or confident or, and I feel this kind of way about myself. I didn't. I really didn't. I worked so, so hard to get here. And so it's just putting that boundary in for yourself too and not apologizing anymore for just putting in the work, really. I think yeah. for me it was people spend a lot of time trying to make me feel uncomfortable, whether intentionally or not. And I decided to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so being a dancer, that would happen a lot. People would kind of have an inkling and think I'd be ashamed of that. And they'd be like, oh, so what, what do you do? And I would look people dead in the face and go, I'm a stripper. Yeah. And they would get so uncomfortable and shocked. Like, oh, and it was like, oh, no, you thought you were going to make me feel uncomfortable. And I really don't <laughs> care. It's you that has the issue and not me. Yeah. Taking that reclamation of power was yeah. something that I really got quite addicted to, was that being of like, you tried to make me feel a certain type of way. And just by being sure of who I am, you weren't able to do that. And I realized that people can't really make you feel any way that you don't allow them to. And once I figured that out, I was on a roll. <laughs> I wasn't going to let anybody make me feel that way anymore. And, and then I started realizing something that people would tell me, like teachers would tell me in high school, you know, like some of the other girls, like they would look up to you and it was just like, I'm terrified of everything in the world. Like, why would they possibly do that? And I really understood that kind of role model role of people that you don't even know necessarily are looking to see what what is going to happen. And for me, I'm like, you know, I've been through enough, like what's a little bit more trauma. So if I have to be the first one to try something so that other women or whoever can see that, you know what, if you are yourself, the sky isn't going to fall. I was like, then I'm prepared to do that. I'm, I'm prepared to take the heat for that. And then that got more empowering as it went along. So I don't know. That's so good. It's like empowering your performance by channeling trauma and getting so much creativity and solutions you never thought were possible. Trauma makes you so funny. Like, it makes you so funny. <laughs> it really does. It, and it just it makes things a little bit more lighthearted. And, and I've found ways to make light of situations in an in array of life, you know, situations. And it just really really breaks the tension and it's it's kind of nice to be able to provide relief to, to people in certain times or whatever sometimes the only thing you can do is address it and just be like you know what this was pretty shit hey do you know tom sainsbury i didn't know him as well but i did know of him i think when i started like class comedians back in oh my gosh I'm sure my age, like 2009 he was kind of coming up and doing things and then i watched him in one of my friends, Hanel, did this amazing show called Sis, and I think Tom was in that, and he just knocked it out of the park. I was in love after that. I haven't had the pleasure of, like, meeting him, but I would definitely fangirl the fuck out. Yeah, he was on the show last night, and he is just so lovely. I think Benny and I both fell in love with him. <laughs> okay, explain more about how you channel this trauma into your performances and how to be sensitive to someone's loss but help them reach a new perspective sometimes it's like especially in a moment of real tragedy there's nothing you can say you know there's nothing you can really say that is that will encompass the level of pain that they're feeling in that moment and so rather than running away from it or being awkward like the last thing people want in a time of trauma usually is that sympathy. And for me, that's something that I really struggled with growing up was everybody just looked at me with that sympathy look in their eyes, but nobody was prepared to do anything about it as a child. You know, like people could look at the situation from the outside and be like, oh, that's so awful. But nobody stood up. Nobody did anything. Mm. And... You know, sometimes there's situations in life where there isn't really anything that can be done. And so for me, it was like realizing that you could just say, you know what, this is a bit shit and address how much it sucks. Or you could say something a little bit funny. And if that gives somebody a three to five second pocket of peace, just a few seconds to take, you know, just the edge off, then isn't that a good thing? Yeah. Yes. 
Not always. There's been one or two. Usually I'm pretty good. You've got to, like, I think the best skill of comedy is how to read a room. And there has been one or two times that I may have gotten it wrong and it's gone down like a lead balloon. But most of the time, people kind of kind of appreciate the relief. I had somebody close to me that had lost a child and lost another child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just nothing you'd ever be able to say. So I walked into her house in front of a room full of grieving people and she was sitting down on the floor. And I was like, look, babe, we did this like a year ago. If you wanted to see me again, you could have just called. We didn't have to go through all of this. And she laughed. Her and her mom laughed and thought it was hysterical. And every single other person in the room just gasped on like their cups of tea. I was like, I cannot believe you would say something almost so insensitive. But for me, it's like just reminding that person that they're still the same person and they're still human and you still see them the same way can sometimes be a lot more caring and loving than just a, I'm sorry, because that sorry doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you did well. That could have been a real turning point for your friend, you know, that you had someone like you have the audacity to say to say that and bring a smile to her face and her mum's face. So good on you. Also, uh, back to stand-up, the audience in the different environment, they're, they're out and about, they're not in their usual spaces, and if they allow themselves to loosen up a bit, they, you know, should be, or could be, they could be very inspired by what comes out of a comedian's mouth. It's um, it's not everyone's cup of tea, every performance, but I think um, you walk away, you walk out of there, <laughs> just so chilled and um, you feel rewarded that you've, you've been in the presence of uh, someone who has the balls to say that sort of stuff. My favorite quote is people used to laugh at comedians and listen to politicians and now they listen to comedians and they laugh at politicians. (laughs) And that's what I love about comedy is that you can give information and a point of view and something really hard hitting to people in the medium that they can take it on board and not feel, you know, as attacked or, you know, defensive about it. And you can really bring light and awareness to situations that need it and things that need to be talked about in a way that people can kind of take it on board. And I, I think that that's just such an amazing thing. Yes, absolutely, totally. And uh, because I think comedy and well, comedians and actors, they just they know a little bit more about um, psychology and the way humans behave. They even, um, they even learn how, how to walk differently from people who are really just detached from everyday ways of being part of it is because we're creepy like people watchers (laughs) and part of it is because we're just traumatized as fuck you know like most comedians you know like you dig you scratch a tiny bit into that service and you'll see somebody with a background of pain that figured a way to kind of make fun of it but i think that's like that's just so fucking awesome to be honest (laughs) and being able to work some of your own your shit out on stage like that's a cool feeling as well but like you can you know you can really have that like you say that safe environment where People can hear you and you can joke about anything as long as it's funny. You can. (laughs) I love that, that kind of juxtaposition and like that kind of that, again, that melding of different things. It's like you can bring up some pain and trauma and stuff and and it's like an academic thing. It's an empathetic thing because you can really feel the room. Like if you say something a little off color and the crowd isn't with you, you feel it. And I think that's something that's harder to do about comedy than any other type of stage performance. It's like, you know, if you're singing a song and you're a little bit off or whatever, you know, people can't tell you until you get off stage. Comedy, second by second, minute by minute, like if you do something that people aren't really that into, you feel it right there in the moment and you've just got to dust that shit off and keep it pushing and keep going and finish your set and do what it is that you're doing. So it's pretty pretty brutal form of feedback right there in the moment like you don't just get a review after a play or a boo at the end of your you know your song that you've sung and you've done your whole set like you're right there in the moment and you have to still keep that ball going but it's it's awesome you have those nights of just pure everybody's in there with you and you can talk about some really intense stuff and everybody leaves feeling that little bit like you know we've addressed something because we're all human and we all share a lot of the same experiences Yes, you're saying how comedians read a room. 
That's what DJs do too. Comedy is certainly an art form in itself, having the power to engage and entertain and, well, push the limits big time. I definitely push the limits. My comedy is not for the faint-hearted. But then again, like I said, people surprise me, you know, like I've got this joke that I do about like dead babies and it really shows you whether the crowd is kind of with you or not. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't pull that. And then other times I'll pull up to a gig or like a bartender that might have seen me when I was there previously. I had one bartender and as soon as I got there, I went to order a drink, not even realizing that she would remember me. And she was like, are you going to, are you going to do the dead baby joke tonight? I really like, that's the only one that I want to see. Like, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so excited. But like, can you, can you just do the dead baby joke? And I was like, oh my gosh, like. I'm going to need a lot more than that side assist. You better bring us a couple more tequila shots because, oh, my goodness. But it's it's cool knowing that people can be there with the edgy. But then surprisingly for myself, like, obviously I love edgy, you know, comedians like Brendan Lovegrove or Jim Jeffries, like people that really push that boundary. Daniel Sloss is another great one. But I also, when I'm just watching comedy, I quite enjoy the super everyday mundane types of comedy because I really enjoy seeing a point of view that I would never have considered for a joke. There's um, a UK comedian, Dylan Moran, does like a 10-minute set on curtains. And it's just, you know, like that observational comedy of everyday things that all of us do, every right? The curtains, that's what reminded me. These curtains, and it's like, I was like, I, I would never think to do that or I would never be able to pull that off let alone write that kind of material. And so I love seeing a point of view of a, a comedy style that I would never be able to do because it, it's just not part of my voice or who I am. So I really appreciate that, like, you can make a joke about anything. If, if a guy in the UK can do 20 minutes on, like, a curtain, we can all do plenty of stuff. Like, I just, I just think it's so amazing. It is. And everyday things can be funked up to be more interesting than... They may seem. That's what I love about it because I don't notice everyday things. They just go like, I'll notice weird stuff. Like if I'm watching an advert, I'll notice there were two salts on a table in the background, not a salt and a pepper. But if you ask me what the advert was about, no clue. Drives my friends insane. But I love that other people could, you know, like really observe that. And then it's that relatability. Everybody else can relate to, oh, I do that same thing every single day. And it's something that I didn't even notice that I do. I, I like that relatability, but I also like my style where I just really can push that envelope and, and make people think about stuff. And I think being a dancer prior to that helps me with the audience because people don't really take strippers seriously. So if I feel like they're getting a little bit like, oh, why would she talk about that? They see the blue hair and the tattoos and they're like, oh, you know what? She probably just had a bad dad. Like she just, she doesn't know. <laughs> it's a great shield. It's a great shield. <laughs> I can relate. Well, thank you, Brooke, for your honesty and sharing quite a lot with us tonight. It's been fantastic. Well, luckily it was interesting. Yes. I didn't even have to get my boobs out. <laughs> Would you like to tell us the meaning of some of your tattoos? Oh. Do you have a favourite uh, my favorite, I've got an, um, like a Catholic rosary bead anklet that I love. Um, and it's probably because I got that for my grandmother and I showed it to her and she wasn't too phased actually by it, which was surprising. And I got another tattoo for my grandfather and he was absolutely mortified, but that's fine. <laughs> But I love that my nan got to see the tattoo that I just passed away. And all my other tattoos are really just were part of me exploring who I am. And I'm not good at talking about like how I feel. So I just like emotional pain. So I just get the, the physical pain instead. And for me, I'm like, job done. It's, a, it's efficient. So I have a, a sleeve on my arm, which is about my balance of life. So I have like above the ground and underneath the water. So I have, you know, I don't know if you can see. Yeah, some mermaids and stuff, like some dark angels and skulls. And then I have this gigantic piece down my side, which is bright and colorful and, and roses and things because I loved the idea of big tattoos on women, but I didn't like that when a lot of women that I had seen had done it, they'd gone kind of down the masculine route 
rather than bringing out the femininity in themselves. So I, I spend a lot of time with my tattooist kind of hand drawing and hand picking flowers that I liked out of just gardening books and obscure places. And then when we finally got it right after drawing it on and taking it off like five times, he's like, get in the chair. I don't give a shit if we're here for the next three days. Like you were not leaving until it's it's on you because I'm never drawing it again. But And would you recommend a local tattooist in particular? Yeah. Um I think you can't. Like it depends on what it is that you're looking for. Tattooing is its art form in itself. So if you like photorealism, like what I have on this sleeve, you know, you'd go to certain artists like maybe Matt Jordan and Shipshake Tattoo and things like that. They do amazing stuff. If you wanted like a color artist, you'd go somewhere else. If you wanted great straight lines and dots and things like this, you can't just pick one. People are like, who would you recommend? And I'm like, it depends on what it is that you're looking for. You've got to find the right fit. I just think art is about collaboration. So I chose artists where they had a very defined style and I gave them my ideas and gave them a bit of creativity to, to put their interpretation on what I wanted. And they'll come up with different things that you wouldn't have considered, just like comedy, a different point of view. So my tattoos I love because I had a baseline, but I gave them the freedom as an artist to just give me what it is that it meant for them when they saw that image. And obviously I'm not a tattooer, so they did way better than me. Yeah, I think um, you're seasoned tattoo receiver so uh you know uh, way more about it than me but there's just some tattoos that just very admirable the artistic nature and the thought that's behind you know going through that instagram go on instagram follow everybody's work see what it is that they do and what they're about and when you know like you'll just know you'll you'll know the person you resonate with and work with them and let them know then you want them to put their own spit on it because they'll care more if they get a bit of freedom. Nobody wants to just copy and paste what you want. If yeah. you give an artist some and a designer, you know, like a bit of artistic license, you're going to get a much better piece because they're invested in it, you know. They've put their vibe on it, and I think that's that's the secret. Uh, thank, you, thank you guys so much for having me. Wow. Thank you, Brooke. You are one radical chick. Incredible. Thank you very much, Michelle Henderson and Brooke West. <laughs> oh, too fun. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in this Friday night, 20th of May. Gosh, that was just so interesting. And it's just really uplifting for me, hanging out with interesting people almost daily. <laughs> well, love New Zealand. I love who I'm meeting throughout this country and um, back in Auckland next week but right now I'm broadcasting from near Queenstown. More interesting people coming up on the show talk about mental health, health, music, art, business, entrepreneurship, things that make life roll on so well. Uh, yeah, lots of creatives out there, and um, we just like you to visit us at TalkbackNZ if you want to listen to the audio, if you want to buy us a coffee, buy us a coffee.com slash TalkbackNZ. No pressure, but if you want to support the show, that'd be really cool. Uh, just going to say a quick goodbye to our beautiful guest, Brooke West. She's backstage, and um, all the best. Have a beautiful weekend, everyone.